2020 may be new to us, but it's not new to God. God's been waiting for us at the start of this year to walk us in to this new year in order to face every challenge that comes our way. See, in 2020, we're going to have victories and we're going to have difficulties. Know this, that having faith in God isn't immunity from hardship or adversity. Just because you're a follower of God doesn't mean everything's going to be a walk in the park. In fact, Jesus made it very clear, uh, you're going to have troubles in this world. But God said, take courage because I've overcome this world. So no matter what we face this morning, we can know that God has overcome what it is that we're fighting so we can have the victory. See, we can't control what happens to us, but we can build our faith and remain grounded so when the storms of life hit, we're not persuaded to back away. See, the purpose of this series is to arm you with God's word so that in everything you will be an overcomer. So I believe that God's word is everything, has everything we need in order to live a successful or victorious life. As Pastor Tony Evans said, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago and I'll paraphrase, I'm going to have difficulties in this life with or without God, so I'd rather go through them with him by my side. Make that your mantra for this year. Even though you're going to have difficulties, it's better to go through them with God on your side than without him. So today we're going to visit the importance of trust when following God. Trust is a key element in any relationship and it's crucial to faith. See, faith and trust are inseparable. Faith is trusting that what God has said he's going to do for you. And so we hold on no matter what we see. To separate one from the other will cause a complete collapse of faith in your life. If you separate trust from faith, faith is not going to work in your life. They require both of them. So let's read this morning from Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. It says, Immediately... He made the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. That's me trying to cry. As they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Father, I pray this morning that as we open your word, some of us here have had experiences in life where trust has been broken. 
Some of us this morning find it very difficult to trust because our trust has been violated by others. And so God, I pray that today as we look into your word, that you'll repair those experiences we've had and help us to see that you are completely trustworthy. God, I pray that no matter what season of life we find ourselves in today, that your word will arm us and prepare us and help us to be victorious through every season, through every trial. So God, we thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this scene uh, that we re- just read in scripture falls in between the feeding of the 5,000 and our text from last week. And the first thing that we read in this passage is that immediately, say immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples to get into the boat to go to the other side while he remained to dismiss the crowds. Now, this is odd because dismissing of the crowd seems more like something the disciples should be doing and not Jesus. Because we learn after Jesus dismisses the crowds that he goes to pray. So we understand that Jesus in his mind says, it's time for me to go and sit, spend some time with my father. Instead, he sends the disciples off and he takes the task of dismissing the crowds, uh, having them disperse. Now that word immediately emphasizes the command to go. Immediately, he made them go into the boat to go to the other side. So why did Jesus have the disciples leave and then dismiss the crowds by himself? See, there was something about the crowds that concerned Jesus. There was something about their mentality and their intent that he felt it was necessary to dismiss the disciples and then address the crowds See, Jesus knows what his followers can handle and what they can't handle. Jesus knows what you can handle and what you can't handle. And so there are, there are things that the disciples think they can handle, what Jesus thinks they can't handle, but they can't handle it. Are you with me? There are things that Jesus knows you can't handle, and so he shields it from you. See, God may choose to shield us from opportunities or experiences that we're not prepared for, even though we feel we're ready for them. There are things we want him to do in our life, but he's like, are you ready for that? We're like, yeah, of course I'm ready. And he's like, no, you're not ready for that. So we're going to stay in this holding pattern for a while because I need to prepare you to be ready for what you think you're ready for, but you're not ready to have in the moment. See, everything God keeps from you is for your good. And anything God permits in your life is to refine you. There are things in our life that we want God to do now. And God's like, no, this is not the right time or this is not the right thing for you. And there are things that God releases in our life. And we're like, God, why don't you take this from me? God, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. And God's like, no, I'm using this to refine you. I'm using this to develop your faith. See, we think we know what we want, but he knows really what we need. And so in the case of God withholding or God releasing, don't force the issue. Trust God's judgment and his timing in your life. Don't fight against him. Jesus dismisses the disciples so he can talk to the crowds because the crowds want to take Jesus by force and make him king. 
The crowds see Jesus with a different perspective and they want to make him a political king. They see him as a revolutionary, someone who is gaining momentum and has the potential of overthrowing the Roman government. The crowds thinking has the potential of polluting the disciples' emotions and and planting thoughts in their mind that are contrary to who Jesus is. So Jesus in his wisdom says, no, 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 you guys take off. I'm going to deal with the crowds. I can't let their excitement, I can't let their hype get infect your emotions and plant thoughts in your head that are going to cause you to stray from what my purpose is, so I need to dismiss you. Are you following me? So Jesus takes it on himself to deal with the crowds because he understands the emotional damage that could happen long-term to his disciples if they're exposed to this thinking. And Jesus doesn't hesitate to deny the crowd's request. He doesn't sit down and say, well, let's talk about king. Does it come with a palace? Does it come with... Jesus doesn't even entertain the idea. He's not influenced or even persuaded by them, but dismisses them. Because he knows who he is and what his purpose is. He knows exactly who he is. And he understands as great as this opportunity looks, king, the one who overthrows the Roman government, how exciting that might be, he realizes that's not who I am. That's not why I'm here and what I've been called to do. See, we must be careful not to allow others to influence how we live or what we should do with our life. People will always press you to be what they want you to be, but you were made by God for a purpose. You were designed by God with everything about you, all of your caring, all all that you are. God has made you for a specific purpose. So don't let the crowds cause you to be what they want you to be, but find out who God wants you to be. Find out what God's purpose is for you. As a side note this morning, if you don't know what God's purpose is, I hope if you take away anything from this morning, you begin to think about it. You begin to ask God, what is the purpose? Why do you have me here? Because you know, one day you're going to stand before him and you're going to give an account of your life. And God's going to be, I had a purpose for you. I had a plan for you. You didn't fulfill it. Or good job, faithful servant. You did fulfill the plan I had for you. Find your purpose. Know what it is that God has you here for. See, God may use others to confirm first what he's put in your heart to do, but he'll never tell others what you're called to do before he tells you. God will always speak to you, and then when you don't get it, he'll use others to to influence you, to encourage you in the direction that he's already spoken to you. But God will never tell someone else something about you that he doesn't first tell you about. Last week, we established from John chapter 6 that Jesus' mission, his primary purpose was to be a sacrifice once and for all so mankind can have their sin forgiven and we can spend eternity with them. That was Jesus' purpose. That was his mission. So as the crowds want to make him king, he realizes that's not the king he's called to be. So as Jesus dismisses the crowds, he instructs his disciples to go to the other side of the lake and he says, I'll, I'll catch up with you guys later. And suddenly it says, night falls, and as they're halfway across the lake, a storm appears out of nowhere and begins to work against their efforts to do what Jesus has asked them to do. Now, I've lived 
long enough to recognize that this is a regular pattern in life. Forward progress is always met by resistance. Whenever God asks you to do something, it's rarely easy and it's rarely met without opposition. Whenever God tells you, puts on your heart, you know, Monday morning, I'm going to start reading through the Bible in a year. And then tomorrow morning comes, you're like, I'm going to start tomorrow. Or you're like, you know, I'm going to commit in the new year to pray every single day. I'm going to spend 30 minutes every single day in prayer. And you just don't get started. Why? Because there's always opposition to what God wants to do in your life. Don't be afraid of opposition. Don't be shocked by opposition. See, if we're not experiencing resistance, we're probably not moving forward. If you're going through life right now and you're like, this is actually pretty easy, well, you might not be moving. Standing still is always really easy. But if you're moving forward, there's always going to be resistance. Now, I'm an optimist by default. uh, But I've noticed that when everything is quiet and calm in life, that that's usually warning that a storm is on the way. I'm not a pessimistic. Don't say, oh, he's just a negative guy. He's just thinking, neg-. no, 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 I'm an optimist. But I, I've just seen enough times in life that all of a sudden, well, things are going pretty good right now. <gasps> Boom, storm hits. Category 10, tornado just crashes on my day. It just seems to be a common phenomenon in my life. And it said, we read it as they're halfway across to the other side. They're halfway there. And isn't that it? We're, we're kind of getting our momentum going and, and we're, do, we're on the right track and things are going well. We get about to the halfway point and all of a sudden we get hit with some sort of opposition or resistance. That's so common in life. And have you ever experienced that type of opposition where no matter which direction you go, it hits you? It's just that headwind that continuously hits against you. And so you try to turn this way to get around it. And it just hits you even harder. You're like, well, let's go back this way and try to. And it just hits you. And you're, you're trying to move forward. You're trying to walk obediently. But you're met with stiff resistance. See, it's times like this that it's easy to think, well, maybe I'm just out of God's will. Things are so hard right now. And out of nowhere, this storm hit me when everything was going good and God was blessing and life was easy. Maybe I'm no longer in God's will or maybe this wasn't the right direction. Maybe this is, uh, this is a sign that God is trying to get me to turn back around. See, opposition doesn't always mean you're in the wrong place. See, the disciples were exactly where God wanted them to be. In fact, remember at the beginning of our text, it says he made them go. So he made them go. Whether he knew the storm was coming or not, he made them go in that direction where they ran head straight into wind and waves. See, just know storms are unavoidable. But God redeems every storm in our life by helping us build our faith and our trust in him. Now, I I admire people who work out. And, and I, I watch people who work out, and I'm like, I would really like to be muscular like that person. The problem is, I don't want to do all that work. Like, it's not like going to the gym once, and all of a sudden you come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, you got to do it for like a year. <sighs> like, every day for a year, you got to work out if you want to look muscular and buff. And, and boy, would I just love to have that kind of physique I don't have the patience or the endurance 
to work out like that. It's just not, it's not in me. If I could pay someone to work out for me and receive all the benefits, I would do it. Like if you're a gym rat and I'm like, here, here, I'll pay for your membership, go work out for me, and I'm feeling it. Man, last week I couldn't lift up a pencil. This week I'm picking up desk. You're doing good. I'm gonna take care of you. If I could pay someone to work out for me and gain all the muscle and strength, I would do that. But muscle and strength are only developed through resistance. You know that? You don't, you don't get strong doing this. Because we'd all be doing this, right? There's no resistance against the air. You've got to have resistance. You've got to have weight in that bar. And you want to get that thing up, but that thing wants to come down. But that's the pattern. That's the process of building muscle. See, I can't grow stronger without resistance. And opposition presents opportunities for you and I to build our strength in God. So there are storms coming your way, or maybe this morning you're in the middle of a storm. Don't be afraid. Know that God is using that to build your trust, to build your faith, to build spiritual muscle. See, trust is only developed in moments when God's trustworthiness is challenged. In moments where you're like, God, where are you? Like, God, why is this happening? Those are the moments where trust gets built and you become stronger. See, when everything's going good, there's not really a need for trust because everything's good. Like there's no opposition. There's no difficulty. Life is just good. But we, we have to go through difficult times. We have to go through storms in order to build up our strength and our trust in God. So don't run from the moments where God is refining you and building your trust and faith in him. Know that God, if God is leading you, then he will get you through that. Now, just as the disciples think it can't get any worse, and remember, these are experienced fishermen. These are guys who spend at this time half their life learning how to fish and taking boats on this very lake, and they're familiar with it. But they're so paralyzed by fear because the wind is opposing the boat and the waves are crashing. And as they think it can't get any worse, it does. And has that happened to you in life? You're like, okay, at least I know things can't get worse. And then it does. And then you get hit, your car breaks down. And then your roof falls apart. And then life just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's where the disciples are. First, uh, or it says that through the wind and the waves, they see a figure standing out in the water. So know that at this moment, their emotions are maxed out. They're physically exhausted and drained. And as they look through the wind and they're trying to row, they're trying to get to the other side, they see a figure and they're like, it's a ghost. We're in trouble. Like they can't go any further. They can't get across. And now a ghost is coming towards them. And they begin to cry out in fear. Just ponder on that for a moment. Mind you, these are young guys They're roughly somewhere between the age of about 15 and 20 years old. But they're macho, right? They're fishermen and they're crying. They're crying because they think they see a ghost. Now we talked about this in our last series uh, through December about how fear is an involuntary response. Like you can't prevent fear from happening. When we're under extreme duress, our body releases a chemical that sets off a chain reaction that tells our emotions, be afraid, you're scared, 
you're gonna die. It just, you can't stop it. There's something happens in your brain. It sends off this chemical and you begin to feel afraid. There's nothing you can do. It's involuntary. Nothing you can do to stop it. See, their emotions are, are telling them that the end is near. And look, it's a perfect storm, literally. It's nighttime. Isn't it true that most things are scarier at night? Like walk around, I say this all the time. I don't know what it is about the church. Walk around the church in the daytime, no problem. Walk around the church at night by yourself as things begin to creak and you see things. The night enhances your fears. The night, and so here it is, it's nighttime. The waves are beating them down. They're beating against the boat. And it says the wind is working against them. If you've ever been out by the ocean or anywhere where it's windy, the howling of the wind can release chemicals that tell your brain, be afraid. So it's a perfect storm. But I love this. Jesus says, immediately, it says, say immediately. Immediately, Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You need to hear this this morning because some of you are in a storm. Some of you don't know it, but a storm is coming. Some of you aren't sure when, but you know without a doubt that there's going to be a storm in your life this year. And look at Jesus' words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now that phrase, take heart in the Greek, means boldness or courage or be confident. Be confident, take heart, be confident, be bold. See, Jesus' command to be courageous is based on the words, it is I, which is ego, Amy in the Greek, which is the Greek equivalent of God's name, I am. Jesus is telling them, it's I am. It's the God that created everything. Be confident. The phrase, do not be afraid, in the original language doesn't quite translate as effectively from the Greek into English. That word afraid means to cause, to run away, or to withdraw. Now understand that Jesus is not rebuking the disciples for being afraid, but he's telling them, don't allow your fear to have you respond separately from faith. Don't withdraw from faith because you're feeling fear. Don't back away from faith because you're feeling fear. He's not rebuking them as much as the possibility of responding incorrectly in that moment. See, fear causes most people to fight or flight. It causes that feeling where I've got to go. I've got to get out of this situation. And so Jesus attempts to dispel their fear by assuring them that it is he and encourages them not to abandon their faith in that moment. See, it's moments like this where everything is out of control that we can begin to question, where's God? We can begin to question, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Yet faith is for times like this as we see the faithfulness of God at work in our life. See, that's the reason why we walk by faith. That's the reason why we need to be men and women of faith. It's for times like this when everything is out of control. Faith doesn't prevent these things. Faith helps you get through these things. See, he's the one. God's the one who will sustain us. He's the one who will keep us afloat. And he's the one that will provide peace as the storms of life tear around you.
See, the storms you're facing and the opposition you're up against is no match for the great I am. There's no match. God would say the same thing to you today. If, if you're in the middle of a storm, that it is I. Do not be afraid. So don't run from him when the storms of life hit, but draw near him. And the story gets better. Once Peter is assured that it's God, it's Jesus, it's the rabbi, it's, their, it's his master that's out there, uh, Peter uh, turns to God and he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't think there's any greater statement of trust from Peter than that. It doesn't make sense. Okay, have you tried walking on water? Doesn't work. Peter's got this crazy idea that, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come. Now, I hope this makes more sense in light of last week's message where we talked about how the purpose of a follower was to mimic their rabbi. So everything that you see your teacher, your rabbi doing, he is training you to do. Peter is saying, Jesus, if that's you, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be where you are, so call me to come. And Jesus simply says, come, and Peter begins to walk. Now, we don't know how many steps Peter took before he began to sink. I tend to think it was very few, just knowing who I know, how I know Peter from the Gospels. Uh, but we know that something happened that as he began to walk on the water, uh, he began to sink. Jesus says this in verse 31 for the third time. Immediately, say immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand to save Peter from sinking. This is incredible because this is the blueprint for our life. This is the blueprint where we test God. We try to walk by faith. We fail, and then he reaches out his hand to pick us up so that we can keep going. This wasn't a sign of failure, but this is the process of maturity. We need to step out, we fail, we get back up, and we do it again. We fail, we get back up, we do it again. That's how we grow in faith. So we go from failure to faith, failure to faith. The Proverbs 24, 16 says the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. And like Peter he begins to walk out, uh, walk on the water, and then sinks. And this cycle of failure to faith is not a mark of weakness, but it's the process of building our faith. Notice that Jesus rescues Peter and then rebukes him for his doubt. Not the other way around. He doesn't say to Peter while he's going down, why did you doubt? Now you're all wet. You're going to make a mess of that boat when we get back inside. He doesn't do that. But Peter cries out, and immediately Jesus reaches his hand out, picks him up, and they, and they get to the boat. And then he asks him the question, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were walking. You were coming to me. You asked me. You recognized it was me. You knew I was your master, your rabbi. You were coming to me, and then you doubted. Why did you doubt? See, Peter received confirmation that it was Jesus on the water. He defied the laws of gravity by walking on water. Then, for whatever reason, he doubted. Now, that word doubt in the Greek is distazo, and it means to hesitate or to be uncertain. See, something 
happened where Peter shifted his trust from God and placed it on what he saw. He was trusting Jesus. He asked him. Jesus confirmed it was him. He began to walk. But then at some point, he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to look at the waves. He began to look at the wind around him. He began to look down. Maybe he looked back and realized, why aren't they following? What's going on? And he began to trust more what he saw than what God said. The greatest obstacle to faith and trust in our life is not our limited understanding or our experience, but in trusting what we see more than trusting God. The greatest obstacle you're going to face in this life in building faith is trusting what you see more than what God's word has said. This is why 2 Corinthians 5 says, for we live by faith, not by sight. You and I live by faith, not by sight. We don't live by what we see. God's word is greater than what we see. So we trust him even when everything around us tells us it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not real. It's not reality. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing. We live by believing what God's word says, by who God uh, says he is, and not by what we see around us. And maybe it was this moment that Peter, or that, this moment where Peter is uh, falling, where he's taking his trust off of God, and the wind and the waves around him distract him away from trust. Maybe this is where James, uh, James wrote in James chapter 1, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what areas in your life is God testing or developing your trust in him that you're asking God to remove from you? What storm is in your life right now? What wind and waves are you experiencing right now that are causing you or that God is using to develop your trust in him that no matter what you see, you know God's gonna get you through this. And no matter what you see, you know that God has a purpose and a plan for this. See, when we remove trust from the equation of faith, our faith becomes ineffective. See, storms are not evidence that faith is powerless or even that you have no faith, but is the reason why faith in God is necessary. See, the storms you face is not proof that you did not trust God in something, but it's an opportunity to trust him with something. By putting your trust in God, no matter the opposition you're facing, is the only way to remain centered in God's will when everything in life is overwhelming. So remember this, storms in life are unavoidable, but you have the choice on how you can respond to them. So if you have to go through them, it's best to go through them with the one who can sustain you and hold you up through it all. Let's pray this morning.